Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode number 135 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the top three non-conventional ways that you can improve your strength training to see better on bike or in triathlon or running results. So what I'm going to share with you today are the top three things that I've learned over the last 27 28 years. Wow, 28 years. I cannot believe it. 28 years that I've been in and around the health and fitness industry. Uh, the last 25, I've been training seriously, a uh, number of years competitive, and you know, now I'm competitive with myself. But this podcast today may have been shared with you by someone who cares about you or wants you to get a little bit of a leg up or an edge. These days, the world is full of lots and lots of information. The challenge we have is there aren't any gatekeepers. Now, this is a positive and a negative all at the same time. It just depends on how exactly you take it and what you do with it. Nowadays, we're hearing lift heavy stuff, although that is starting to fade, thankfully, <laughs> just a, a bit, as well as more cyclists and triathletes hitting the weight room. Now, what we're going to talk about today, you'll notice I didn't say your strength training. I said your training. So we're going to focus on things that tend to help and you can easily implement on the bike or your run, but are things that are trainable in your strength sessions. And really the last couple of years, I've gotten deeper into programming these things in more consistently. Although many of the trainees that I've had, whether through the Big Gear Blueprint program, which is my, my premium program, uh, or through individual coaching, or through the, the pre-made plans that I have up on Training Peaks and Train Heroic, they're unless you know to look for them, they're not obvious. But these are the things that make a really big difference. So let's dive right into it. Today's uh, a little bit of a shorter episode and we'll tie things off with the bow at the end here. So number one is going to be beginning your recovery as you end each session. Beginning your recovery as you end each session. What the heck does that mean? Is that soft pedaling for a couple minutes? Is that a shower? Is that a meal? Is that uh, specific nutrition? Is that the uh, protein synthesis window? Well, the answer is it's all of it. But what I'm specifically talking about is allowing yourself to de-stress. Now, the way that I've been doing it the last uh, three years, uh, I started since the pandemic, I kind of toyed with it a little bit uh, the year before 2019, um, before I broke my fibula. Uh, I, I was toying with it a little bit, but really Corona, when I was building back fitness after having the, the fibula fixed up and getting some hardware put in is when I really started to implement it, mostly because I was so out of shape and I, I couldn't, train. I, I purposely elected to detrain. But what you would want to do is work on your breathing, bringing yourself back down to baseline. Now, it sounds really easy, right? And that's the reason why it's so difficult. It sounds easy or it's simple, but it is not easy, I should say. And what this is, it can be as simple as 
going through what I call 7-Eleven breathing. Uh, so I have a video over on the YouTube channel. I'll try and put the link into the uh, show notes here. Or you can check out the HV Training YouTube channel um, and just search 7-11, the number 7-11 breathing. And what this is is laying down on your back and, or excuse me, on your stomach, and you're going to have uh, face down and you're going to take seven seconds to breathe in through the nose and 11 seconds to breathe out through your mouth. It sounds easy, but it is not simple. Uh, now, excuse me, the 7-Eleven video that is public is actually laying on your back. And the reason I do that uh, is it helps to get uh, a little bit more uh, awareness. You have your knees bent, so it takes some of the stress out of the hip flexors. So that's the version that's up. Start off with that one. But bringing yourself down and bringing that, that internal environment Bringing the internal hormonal environment back down to baseline is something that is really difficult, especially nowadays. We're all so busy. We have our ride. We need to get done. We have to shower. The kids have to get to, to school. Uh, we have to get to work. We have a work phone call. We have a, a project that we need to do at home. It's over the weekend. So it tends to get shipped out to the next workout and shipped out again until after a while, you don't even know where you put it because it's been shipped out so many times that just disappears. But taking the time to bring yourself down to recovery state immediately after your session has a significant, if not massive impact on your ability to continue to come back and train again. So three minutes, 7-Eleven breathing, taking your time, no music, no talking, no chewing gum, no eating anything. Just three minutes focusing on getting full back body expansion as well as your sides and then hold for one second and then 11 seconds out, making sure you're getting a full breath out. So go ahead and give that a shot. Number two is learning. And this is something that we actually heard uh, from Dr. Stuart McGill back in episode, I think, six or seven, one of my longtime mentors, uh, who I'm excited to see, actually. I'm flying to see him in September for a, a weekend. Um, and that'll be huge. So I'll share that with you guys in a couple weeks when we record then. But uh, getting st proximal stiffness for distal motion. So I want to make this a little bit of an easier term to understand. What is proximal stiffness for distal motion. This is learning to produce stiffness where you need it to get movement only in the right amounts in the places that you need it. So this is uh, something that I've really been dialing in with my clients and through the pre-made programs that I've started to put out here. And uh, it really took a long time to figure out what What's the proper progression for this? Because every body is different. Everyone is going to have a different strategy. So I just had a session here with an Enduro World Series uh, downhill mountain biker here. Uh, he's had uh, two top 20 finishes, and he's really come a long way. We're, year, we're not even year one, the end of year one yet for his training with me. Uh, and he's learned this principle extremely quick. That's why he's you know, at that level is because he's an athlete. He learns that skills, that skill set. But on the other side of things, I have a couple of athletes and clients that I've worked with for about a year and a half, two years that are just now starting to get it. What the difference is, is how our mind-muscle connection works. So the pro is, uh, you know, below the age of 20. Uh, he's been active since day one, whereas those that are still struggling are just now getting it after a year, year and a half are older. They tend to focus on cycling uh, or they like swimming and biking, but not really running or one or the other. And they don't really have as much physical literacy. So what that means is that the nervous system's ability to produce stiffness in through the hips, the rib cage, um, 
the midsection, you want to call it your core, while you're getting movement from a shoulder blade or from the hip is very limited. Now, the challenge with these of learning proximal stiffness for distal motion is these exercises are incredibly neurally challenging. They challenge the nervous system to a high degree and they make it incredibly difficult with not much, if any, weight, which means you're going to have to check your ego at the door. And this is really super challenging for many of us as adults. We like to go into the gym and pick things up and put them down. Hell, I love picking things up and putting them down. That is why, that's how I got into really serious training. You know, I was serious before. I was doing some strength training in the gym because I wanted to look better first. You know, uh, girls was the first <laughs> motivating. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh, the first was to get, uh, to have people stop bullying on me and picking on me. Uh, that was the first. And then it was girls. So those were the two. One was uh, some, some self-defense, if you will, or to be more intimidating. And the second was uh, to attract uh, the females. And uh, neither of those really worked out. But what did happen is I got a lifelong lesson of, or began a lifelong lesson of movement. And my early powerlifting coach, you know, I started uh, powerlifting at the age of uh, 16 and a half or 16. Um, we did a competition. I was just fresh after 16. I barely beat out uh, my two friends who became way better cyclists than me, uh, Samson and Nemo, uh, brothers, uh, who did a, quite a heck of a job for the pit cycling team and in the local uh, uh, Pittsburgh cycling uh, world uh, and beyond. And um, really, it took me about five years to begin to truly understand what Doc meant when he said, you know, keep everything moving except for what needs to, uh, from moving except for what needs to move. Right. And then over the course of the years, I remember uh, reading Dan John, the first book of his that I read many years ago, and Pavel having the same principles. And it finally clicked when I got really deep into Dr. McGill. And I had learned of Dr. McGill uh, about two years after I was introduced to my powerlifting coach uh, because I, I have uh, what we now believe to have been an end plate fracture um, herniation. I was doing some squats and I did something that the science said was amazing. I drew my belly button into my spine with a weight belt because I thought that it was going to be smart because the research says that it's core activation and I didn't listen to my coach and uh, blew a disc. And it's a very familiar sensation. You have that and then you have that tingling sensation uh, and then that oh crap. <laughs> Anyhow, I digress. The proximal stiffness for distal motion, as it applies for you guys and gals, is going to be things like doing a 15-second eccentric lunge. So those of you who are, are in the base camp world, uh, the last two years, uh, specifically last year, will be very familiar with the 15-second eccentric lunge and how absolutely brutally challenging they are. I remember getting a couple messages in the, uh, in the base camp group. Why are we only doing two repetitions? And this was when people had just read a little bit ahead. And I said, yeah, give it a week or two, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. And after week number one, they all went, why would you give two repetitions? That's so mean. Or I really didn't feel like I could do it correctly. I was just moving all different places. That's what proximal stiffness for distal motion is all about. It's learning how to keep everything stiff except for where you want to get motion. And over the last three years, four years, five years, uh, I've really made much more progress with this as a coach because it's a very difficult concept, one, to get buy-in from. Hey, you're really good at doing that really heavy thing and lifting it up many times, and you're still getting stronger there, but let's, it's like saying let's work on bar path instead of, your weight for your squats. And people go, huh? 
I just want to lift heavy things. Well, I've gotten to the point where I can now program it into a, a program, a strength training program that's progressive for somebody that I haven't met before. But I know a little bit about them. And that's presented itself in the Stronger After 50 strength training program. Uh, it was actually uh, the first parts of it were released here on Training Peaks. We're just uh, putting some finishing touches on the downloadable PDF that goes with the Training Peaks version. So the rest of them will be released here later this week, probably on Labor Day is my guess, which is tomorrow as of the release of this podcast. And um, really through the six steps of this program, we start off with uh, end of season unwind, uh, working on breathing, working on dynamic movement, getting some physical literacy back after being on a bike and doing the same thing many, many hours at a time, many smiles at a time. And then we get into number two, which is the basics, base strength. And that's where we begin to add in more breathing uh, into the dynamic warm-up. It's going to be remain constant, but we get into the workout, it gets much more uh, complex. And we start to add, okay, hold this position and move only from this one appendage. Uh, one arm, one leg. And then we add, okay, so now let's add some breathing while you're doing that. And then we add some movement to that. And then we add breathing with movement. And it is incredible to see people go through programs like this and just the skill of, of breath work that it unlocks on the bike as well as the ease of handling the bike, braking, cornering, descending. It just teaches your nervous system to ebb and flow as opposed to being rigid, which is where many heavy things are. And let's not kid ourselves. We do need heavy weights, but for a very small and limited time of the year, and also not at a time when many people are doing them. And that's number three. And the last piece of the non-conventional tips that will help you. Taking the first two, uh, let's say, I was going to say two-thirds, but we'll say uh, half of the year, the strength training year, which begins now here in September. Or if you want to be a little bit late, you can say October to the strength training game for Northern Hemisphere athletes. Uh, we want to start working on how you're moving. So it, it's going to mean that many of these exercises are going to have, you know, to use the term Mike Robertson uses, um, who's a previous guest on this podcast and has the physical preparation podcast, uh, by the way. So you should definitely check that out. Uh, but Mike Robertson calls it a Goldilocks weight. There's going to be a weight that is just heavy enough that you can execute with great technique, but anything heavier is going to pull you and you're going you're gonna to compensate. So you're missing what you need out of that uh, exercise. And any lighter is just going to be too light. And this is a challenge to many cyclists. And I've seen many people, you know, start the program, see a lot of progress. They're moving way better. And they say, yeah, but I'm not lifting heavy things. When am I going to lift heavy things? And the answer to that is when you're ready. And when you're ready should be about March or April. And they go, March or April? But that's when I need to ramp up my mileage. Uh, that, that's, that's prime triathlon season. That, that's when I'm going to start really ramping up the miles. Why would I do heavy stuff then? Well, it's because the heavy strength training counteracts the mileage and the time we're putting on the bike. It allows us to have a longer dynamic warm-up, which helps us work on tissue health, uh, movement and range of motion, uh, so mobility. Uh, the ability to move with strength and control through range of motion, as well as flexibility, the ability to go through range of motion passively. And on top of that, it allows us to get far more out of short strength training protocols that or programs that you can put in alongside your swim bike run two, maybe three days a week for 35 to 45 minutes, and you come out feeling refreshed because you're now giving the body 
a different dose of the hormones of the internal environment. You're changing the internal environment differently than what you have been giving it from all of those long miles or short high intense miles on your bike or your swim or your run. And this is one of the secrets to being able to have longer, more successful seasons. Now, I can't speak about the world tour level. I don't have anybody that I'm working with at that level. Uh, That is a very unique level. The energy that they expend on the bike for the Grand Tours is absolutely immense. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week about the end of season burnout. Uh, Charlie Wigelius's book, Domestique, gives you a great insight or peek behind the curtains of how absolutely exhausted pros were back in the late 90s, early 2000s, finishing the season. And I venture to guess that it's about the same these days, although I do think it is a little bit better. But look at how many professional cyclists stick around for longer than seven years. It's not very many. We just had Tom Dumoulin just retired after, I think, 12, which is uh, pretty long. And a lot of it is because, one, they're asked to perform at a higher level, which means that they're pushing their limits more mentally and physically. And two, the energy that they're being put in to their training tends to be much more Uh, in their sport. And that's a a level of specialization that you and I and a lot of the developmental kids uh, and riders that we have in the pipeline just aren't at. And that means that for most of us, the vast majority of us, the 98, 99.25% of cyclists in the world who are not at the world tour level need some heavy weights at the beginning and mid-season, early to mid-thick of it season. The key is We need a little bit. So previous guest on the podcast here, Jason Fitzgerald, also the host of a really great podcast, Strength Running. Uh, When we talked about plyometrics, and this is also the title of the podcast episode, is plyometrics, a dabble do ya. When it comes to heavy weight training in season, a dabble do ya. Two or three sets is more than enough with a longer dynamic warm-up, a little bit more focused uh, on the tempo or the stiffness where you need it to get movement where you need it side of things. So the weight may feel heavy, but if you were to come at it in February when your mileage is a little bit lower or the intensity is a little bit lower, the weight would go from an RPE of eight or nine to six or seven because the pressure on the body is lower. Exactly right. This is where we allow you to become a much better cyclist or triathlete. So those are the three non-conventional tips that will help you to be able to achieve far better results. Number one is beginning your recovery at the end of each session using breath work, the 7-Eleven breathing, again, over on the HV Training YouTube channel, uh, 7-11 breathing, uh, just like the numbers. Uh, The second is learning to get proximal stiffness for distal movement instead of thinking about loading the weights during the base time of year into the early build and mid-build, and then adding heavy strength to the early to mid and even end of the season for most of us who are racers. Now, again, this is going to change when you're at the world tour level. Uh, I would even argue a little bit at the pro continental level. We'll have to play with those rules a little bit. We need to look at the energy available. Now, if you're over the age of 50, these rules are a little bit different, but they still apply. Now, the great thing about this, and this is totally a hard sales pitch, and I have never done one this hard before on the podcast, but I think it is time for this. The Stronger After 50 program is something that I've spent the last 17 months developing. Now, it started off with a number of you listeners here and subscribers on the YouTube channel and people on the newsletter, the HV Training newsletter, saying, hey, there isn't much for me here. I'm over the age of 50. I know people are saying lift heavy stuff. Uh, It began actually with a few folks over the age of 50 who hurt their back lifting heavy and said, I want to find a strength training program 
that is pre-made, you know, I'd love to work with you one-on-one, uh, -on -one, but I just don't have the means. I'd like to have a program that I can buy that I can trust will help me improve over the age of 50 so I can feel better because I know that you've worked with Paul uh, or Jim or other Jim or Joe or uh, Stacy, oh, Stacy's under, but there's a different Stacy I'm thinking of. Uh, so these are past clients that I worked with who saw fantastic results. And every season they worked with me, they just kept getting faster. And people were saying, what are you doing? And they're saying, I'm doing strength training. And <laughs> inevitably, the, the other folks would say, great, I'm gonna come and watch and do exactly what you do. And they'd stick around for half a session and go, oh yeah, well, uh, uh, that's boring. I, I'm gonna go lift heavy stuff. So the Stronger After 50 program is almost a year and a half in the development. There are three different tracks, uh, one for body weight and bands, one for kettlebells and bands, and one for dumbbells, barbells, and kettlebells, or kettlebells and barbells, depending on which uh, track number you are working through. So there's six different parts to the program, uh, and now is the time to begin. The end of season unwind, a lot of people skip this, but this is anatomical adaptation. There's a lot of foundational work that's done in there, uh, and then from there we move into base. So if you're over 50, or you want to see some of the principles that we talked about here today, in action and how they're actually applied. That is the program to pick up. Uh, it is a fantastic program. Uh, the people who went through it as part of the guinea pigs saw fantastic results, uh, and I encourage you to take a look at that. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it. Please let someone else who needs to hear this message uh, hear it or somebody who might be interested. And finally, if you can give the podcast an honest review, I uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, that's one of the goals that I would like to have here this year is to share uh, uh, or build the podcast a little bit more. So asking you folks to share it, and I would greatly appreciate it. So that's it for this short episode on the top three non-conventional things you can do and should do to help you improve your results from your training and your strength training from 2022 to 2023. So remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.